Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This week on iHeartCincy. We're really good at working as a team to make sure that we can safely take care of a lot of kids. We've been hearing about a surge in respiratory illness in children across the country. Today, we're asking questions of Dr. Elizabeth Schlaudecker, the medical director of the Infectious Diseases Division at Cincinnati Children's Medical Center. While having respiratory illness is unpleasant, the bigger problem in infants and children is lung damage that can cause asthma or result in long-term medical complications throughout their lives. Dr. Schlaudecker will have the latest. And later... I've been here working at the Board of Elections. I'm in my 19th year now. And um, my experience is that um, voter fraud is, is very rare. It's finally in sight, Election Day in the Tri-State. We are hearing from voters who are concerned how it's all going to go. Today I'm speaking with the director of Hamilton County Board of Elections, Sherry Poland, about fraud, intimidation, how the boards of elections are working hard to ensure a fair and legitimate election. Now on iHeartCincy with Sandy Collins. Thanks for tuning in today. We are looking at the recent surge in childhood hospitalizations due to respiratory illness to get things started today. Earlier this week, my colleague Rick Uccino spoke with the medical director of Cincinnati Children's Medical Center's Infectious Diseases Division, Dr. Elizabeth Schlaudecker. She's an award-winning teacher of medical students at the University of Cincinnati, awarded a Fogarty International Clinical Research Fellowship from the National Institutes of Health, and has authored research published in the Lancet Global Health, the Journal of Pediatric Infectious Diseases Society, and the Journal of Infectious Diseases, among others. So I just kind of wanted to get a brief overview of, you know, what's going on in our area right now, because, you know, we... You know, we're hearing all these reports of, of hospitals across the country that are reaching, you know, pediatric capacity or um, well over 80 uh, percent capacity right now due to a you know myriad of respiratory illnesses right now. So where are we at as far as Cincinnati is concerned? What are you guys seeing? So we are seeing a very busy hospital right now, especially the emergency department. We usually see a lot of these respiratory viruses in the winter including RSV or respiratory syncytial virus and influenza. We do have some viruses that typically hit in the summertime or the early fall, and we're seeing pretty much all of them at the same time right now, which is why it's a little extra strain on medical systems, especially pediatric medical systems around the country. Um, the good news at Cincinnati Children's, you know, we 
I've had a lot of practice at managing a busy hospital, especially during COVID when a lot of our staff members were also ill with COVID. We, you know, we accommodated, we're adaptable. We're really good at working as a team to make sure that we can safely take care of a lot of kids. So while it's been busy, I think we've been handling it well and working together as a team to make sure we're seeing all the children in um, you know, a reasonable fashion and making sure we're supporting our emergency medicine colleagues. You probably know that the big virus that everyone's talking about right now is that RSV and most children do get RSV within the first two years of life but many of these children did not have RSV in the last couple of years because of the mitigation measures for COVID and staying at home and wearing masks. And so a lot of these viruses, their usual circulation um, patterns are very disrupted right now. So we have a few children who are hopefully, you know, getting it when they're a little bit older so that they can handle it better, but it is sometimes hard for babies because they have very tiny little airways and they have to be able to breathe well, to eat and drink. And so it puts a little extra strain on these infants who are less than a year old. Yeah, I, I know this all too well. My, uh, my son, uh, who was just over one at the time, uh, got COVID back in January, ended up developing a severe case of croup and had to be hospitalized for, for three weeks. Um, oh no. Yeah. Oh wow. Sorry. It, That's really rough. He's doing great now. He's fine. He's happy, healthy, eating me out of house and home, driving us nuts. So, you know, doing what uh, almost <laughs> doing what almost two year olds are supposed to do at this point. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad he's doing well now because you know it is it is hard because we you know, we do have some preventative measures for some of these viruses. For example, we have great vaccines um, against COVID obviously now, and influenza is recommended, the vaccine is recommended for kids six months and older, but we have never had a vaccine for RSV and we don't have any specific treatments for RSV. Um, We just provide supportive care, probably similar to what your son received for croup. You know, we give children oxygen if they need that, um, maybe some fluids if they're dehydrated, but we don't have an actual um, medicine that directly counteracts RSV. But the good news is we did recently get some information um, this morning as investigators for a Pfizer RSV vaccine trial that they had some promising news that it looks like the vaccine is working really well in infants and will be um, submitted for regulatory application soon and hopefully will be available to others within the next year or two. Yeah, and you guys were part of the clinical trials for that vaccine. You know, what did you guys see in that? It's called the Matisse trial, which means Maternal Immunization Study for Safety and Efficacy. And it's an RSV vaccine that's given to pregnant women in our case. And we Um, enrolled women here at Cincinnati Children's. Um, Half of them received the vaccine and half of them received the placebo. And then we followed them um, throughout their pregnancy and then a year or two into their infant's first year of life and second year of life. And basically with the objective of determining whether or not they got RSV. And the good news is, is this morning they had a planned interim efficacy analysis 
that um, was just completed and they demonstrated a vaccine efficacy of 81.8% against medically attended lower respiratory tract illness due to RSV in that first 90 days of life. So kids who required some sort of medical attention for RSV illness, um, it was 81.8% effective against preventing that in that first vulnerable 90 days. And this is really great news because it's really hard to protect those babies in those first few months of life because they're not their immune systems are still developing so they really can't protect themselves very well and they're relying on maternal antibody and immunity to protect them and so it's a really great strategy to be able to protect the moms and therefore protect the kids in those first few months and that's what we do already. Um, you know, pregnant women receive the pertussis vaccine, the Tdap during pregnancy. They receive the flu vaccine during pregnancy. And um, not only does it protect the mom, but it protects the baby while it's developing. And then, of course, in that first um, year or so after birth. This is iHeart Cincy. If you just joined us, our guest is Dr. Elizabeth Schlaudecker, the Medical Director of Infectious Diseases Division at Cincinnati Children's Medical Center. Today, we're talking about the surge in respiratory diseases in children here in the tri-state. What can parents do right now to really kind of, you know, help both themselves and their kids out and you guys at the same time and try to keep their right. kids healthy, which is, you know, almost impossible, especially, you know, if they're in daycare or anything like that, you know, germs just get right. spread all right. over the place. You know, what, what can they do right now? One of the first things you can do is um, if you are sick, stay at home. Um, if your child is sick, keep them at home so that they don't spread these viruses to others. And then washing hands is really one of the very best tools to help prevent the spread of infection. And then as mentioned, we do have vaccines for both influenza and COVID for children. And so making sure you get your kids signed up to get those vaccines because that protects them from a lot of the viruses that are going around right now. And then for RSV, you know, if your child does get sick and has cold symptoms, just keeping in touch with your primary care provider if you are worried about them, if you're noticing that they're not having as many wet diapers, if they're having trouble eating, if they're having trouble breathing, that's a good time to check with your primary care provider and to ask them if you do need to seek further treatment somewhere. You know, with so many different, you know, respiratory illnesses out there right now, is there one that might be maybe a little bit more prevalent than the others that you're currently seeing at Cincinnati Children's? We don't test for viruses every time someone comes into the hospital because it is quite expensive and sometimes it doesn't change anything that you would do for the patient. So we don't always know for sure exactly what virus um, it is causing, but there are several viruses that are monitored nationally and we are one of the sites for the new vaccine surveillance network for the CDC and we help when kids do present with respiratory infections or they present with a gastrointestinal infection, they are sometimes offered to be in the research study where we basically figure out exactly what viruses are circulating. So when you look online at the CDC, you can see that RSV is very prevalent all over the country, including Cincinnati. Um, we just recently saw a lot of enterovirus, which is another virus that 
causes a respiratory infection and um, a cold. And it is one that we do usually see in the summer. It just happened to be a little more severe this summer. And then of course they were sort of overlapping with one another. And then we know that influenza is starting um, everywhere around the country. So we're all sort of preparing ourselves and encouraging people to get their flu vaccine um, as soon as possible so we can hopefully prevent a lot of influenza here in Cincinnati. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Elizabeth Schlaudecker, the medical director at Cincinnati Children's Medical Center. She works in infectious diseases. She encourages parents and children to get those flu shots and COVID vaccines, plus staying home if you have the sniffles. Coming up. We've been voting early in person now for over 20 days at the Board of Elections, and voters are just peacefully exercising their right to vote as they do every other election. We are asking the questions that you want to know of the director of the Hamilton County Board of Elections. Stand by. More iHeartCincy is coming up. The podcast, The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham, is a moving and inspiring biblical audio experience that will help you master wisdom from the world's greatest book. In each episode, you'll learn to apply biblical principles to everyday life. Each cinematic episode is a journey through the Bible's most profound stories that will strengthen your appreciation of the Word and inspire you to keep learning. Listen to The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is 55 KRC, an iHeartRadio station. This is iHeartCincy, a public affairs show for the Tri-State, finding solutions to issues that we are facing right here at home. I'm Sandy Collins. My next guest is Sherry Poland. She's been working at the Hamilton County Board of Elections for nearly two decades. She's now the director, and we're going to talk about how the boards of elections are working hard to ensure your vote is properly counted and the will of the people is known. Sherry Poland, welcome to iHeartCincy. I know you're very busy. In the newsroom, we're hearing a lot about uh, election officials from coast to coast who are, gosh, been mistreated over the last couple of years and threatened just for doing their jobs. The election anxiety for voters is very real. There's a hashtag trending online right now called election anxiety. Some health experts are out today warning people don't drink too heavily because it doesn't help. I mean, this is uh, this is some serious stuff. And we're hearing concerns from people here in Cincinnati who are worried about the election results, what's going to happen, um, worried about possible confrontations at their polling place, possible intimidation or interference, not specifically any particular place, but just in general. So I know that you've heard all of this, uh, Sherry. Can you tell me where we're at right now with elections in Hamilton County and what preparations are you making for the elections coming up this Tuesday? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to ensure the voters of Hamilton County that the reports of maybe voter intimidation um, and things that we're hearing occurring in other parts of the country are not occurring here in Hamilton County. We have not received um, threats to election officials, um, and we have not uh, received any reports of voter intimidation. We've been voting early in person now for over 20 days at the Board of Elections, and voters are just peacefully exercising their right to vote as they do every other election. So we know the allegations of voter fraud across the country, again, that we've been hearing have been thoroughly investigated. Did you find any fraud in the last elections? You know, we do a, a review after each each election. We, we refer to them as 
voter anomalies, anything that, um, you know, we may want to take a little bit deeper dive into why something happened. I'm going to give you an example of what we see most often, and that is a voter who will request a ballot by mail and mail that ballot back to the Board of Elections, and then for whatever reason, show up to vote at their polling place on election day. There are provisions in place to ensure that only one ballot is counted. That's why voters who request a ballot by mail and then appear at their polling place to vote in person are required to vote what we call a provisional ballot. That means it's not counted on election night. Bipartisan teams review the information regarding the voter, ensure that they've only cast one ballot before the provisional is counted. Um, but we look into those. Our board does. Our board directs our staff here at the board, and we contact the voters. And the vast majority of the time, it's because the voter perhaps forgot to affix postage or mailed it so late that they were afraid it wouldn't arrive, so then took that extra step. So I am very confident in the security procedures that we have in place in, in Hamilton County, not only to keep voters safe and casting their ballots, but so that, but that also the vote is cast and counted accurately and securely. You might find uh, an anomaly here or there, but nothing of any magnitude that would change the election results in any of the races. That is correct. And I, I've been here working at the Board of Elections. I'm in my 19th year now. And uh, my experience is that um, voter fraud is, is very rare. How has it been for you and your staff watching country basically being so stressed out about elections in certain parts of the country and the fact that here in Hamilton County and in the tri-state it doesn't seem to be to that level. How, how are you handling it and how are the workers handling it? Are you having trouble um, getting people to volunteer to work on election day? Yeah, we're not. You know, I'm happy to say that as of right now, all of our polling location positions are filled. Now, we may have some last minute cancellations. Things happen, you know, in someone's life. And um, so what we've done is we have a few reserve poll workers that we have trained and they're ready to go out and fill any of those last minute cancellations. So we're not having difficulty in recruiting poll workers. Um, you know, that as far as people being, you know, fearful of working, that that is just not something that we're experiencing here. What about folks that are going to go on election day itself? Do you have any concern at all that there may be people showing up at particular polling spots that might try to intimidate anyone? And if there would have that happen in the rare occurrence here in uh, Hamilton County, what would be done in that situation? Yeah, again, Ohio has, you know, we have very uh, uh, strict rules in place. Um, regarding voting on election day. You know, there's only certain individuals that are permitted to be in the polling place. And it's basically limited to those that are voting, maybe their minor child coming with them, um, the poll workers themselves, election officials. It's very limited to who is allowed inside the polling place. Uh, campaigning um, is a part of the political process, right? And we expect there to be campaigners promoting their candidates or for or against the issues um, um, that, they, that, that they are campaigning for. But they're kept 100 feet away from the polling place. That is the law in, a, in, a, in Ohio. Um, we may have observers um, it, at, board, at polling places on election day. We typically do in even year general elections. Uh, political parties, uh, candidates of groups, 
groups of five or more candidates can appoint um, observers. We've had had some appointed for this election, but um, all they can do is simply observe. They cannot challenge um, someone's right to vote. They cannot handle the election materials in any way. And you know, that's just all part of the transparency, right? So that there is a place for observers in elections. We don't we don't do this behind closed doors. Um, you know, so and some of the things that we've been doing here at the Hamps County Board of Elections is trying to educate the public on how elections are administered. And we've done that through our social media. Um, as well as hosting behind the ballot tours, where we have groups of individuals, just members of the public that come to our board. Um, we do a brief presentation of how, how the processes are implemented, how elections and the votes are counted, and then give them a tour so they can see those processes in place. We've been hearing uh, some past allegations of people stuffing, quote unquote, stuffing the ballot box and, uh, you know, throwing the election one way or the other. And of course, those things are investigated. But can you just quickly explain how that could not possibly work? Because each ballot is tied to a, an individual person and you are, have the ability to catch more than one ballot per person. Right, that's correct. So in Ohio, a voter must request an absentee ballot by mail. So in Ohio, we do not just mail a ballot to every registered voter. So first, first of all, the voter has to fill out an application and they provide us with their name, their address, their date of birth, a form of ID and their signature. That has to match what is on file in our voter registration system before the ballot is mailed to the voter. Then once the voter receives the ballot and sends it back to the Board of Elections, whether through the mail or using our Dropbox, it is placed inside a, in an identification envelope that contains that same information. That again must match what is on the record of the board in the voter registration system before the ballot can be removed from the from the envelope and then accepted accepted for counting. I also want to mention that in Hamilton County and, and in every county in Ohio, each county is only permitted to have one drop box. So that's different than other states that might have numerous drop boxes throughout throughout the county, throughout the state. In Ohio, it's one drop box. It's located at the Board of Elections facility. So it is very much under our control, and they are all monitored um, with a, a camera surveillance system. Do you think that was a mistake to, to reduce the number of drop boxes because it was convenient and because you have all of these other checks and balances when it comes to counting the ballots, did it really matter whether or not there was one official drop box or uh, two or three uh, throughout the county? You know, having drop boxes and multiple drop boxes um, since since 2020 has become sort of a political topic, right? Um, we here at the Board of Elections, although we work in bipartisan teams and we're affiliated with one party or another, we try to stay away from those political hot topics. I will tell you that having one drop box at the Board of Elections in Hamilton County has worked for us and for our voters. Okay. If you just joined us uh, today, we're speaking with Sherry Poland. She's the director of the Hamilton County Board of Elections. The polls open in Ohio, 6.30 Tuesday. Uh, what kind of um, turnout are you expecting? 
I always, I always, so, I always hesitate to ask that question because there's no way to really know, you know. And I understand that, but um, you know, usually in the in the mornings there's a little bit of a rush as people are getting ready to work, and then there's a lull. Are you expecting all day long crowds this time, or the the ebb and flow, the normal the normal turnout? You're right. So I, I do not have a crystal ball that will predict um, the, the turnout for this election. But what I can do and is make an educated guess. And based on the early vote numbers that we've seen up to date, this seems to be a similar turnout as the last midterm election in 2018, where we saw ended up seeing a 58% turnout. Um, yes, historically, the busiest time on election day is that first hour. You know, many people decide to go vote before they go to work. And so they'll, they'll many times line up before 6.30 a.m. So that's definitely our busiest time. A little drop, usually drops a little bit, picks up again during the lunch hour maybe a little bit of a law and then picks up as people are, are, are coming home from work. But you know, with more and more people uh, uh, working remotely, that, that, may, that may change. But no matter what, we're prepared whenever the voters decide to show up. And of course, in the tri-state in Indiana and in uh, Kentucky, there is uh, early voting going on as well, although it's a little different in Kentucky and Indiana. So check your local board of elections for those hours and such. But you're going to be ready on Election Day. Uh, and then we in the newsroom are preparing for the coverage. And we're also telling each other we may not have results on every on every race and trying to tell ourselves that's an okay thing because in the smaller races clearly that's that that's a more doable um call but in the bigger races where there's a perhaps a lot of provisional ballots that are cast or a lot of uh, of ballots that haven't been counted yet that can change the numbers do you count the the early voting ballots and do we get those numbers on election night in Hamilton County Yes, thank you so much for asking that question. I'd love to talk a little bit more about how the count occurs. The very first ballots that are counted on election night are those absentee ballots, those that come in through the mail and those that are cast early in person at our vote center because we have them in our per in our possession. Um, no ballots are counted until the polls close. What we've been doing the past month is verifying, um, as I described before, making sure those ballots are eligible to be counted and we prepare them for counting. Then when the polls close at 7.30 p.m. on election night, we hit the tabulate button and we uh, publish those early vote totals out to our website, usually by 8 p.m. Then we wait. We wait for the results to come in from the polling places. Voting equipment in the state of Ohio is never connected to the internet. So when people are wondering, hey, the polls closed an hour ago, why don't I have my precinct level results yet? That's because it's a physical delivery by bipartisan teams of the equipment in the ballots to the Board of Elections. As, they, as we are receive them, there's some security um, protocols we have in place, and then we start tabulating those and we periodically will post them throughout the night until we are 100% precincts reporting. I do want to note that election night, is, it's an unofficial count. 
the official count occurs somewhere between 11 and 21 days after election day. And that's the same time frame for all 88 boards of elections in Ohio. What's happening during that time frame is we are receiving late arriving absentee ballots by mail. As long as those ballots were postmarked on or before November 7th and are received at the Board of Elections by November 18th, those ballots will be added to the official count. There's also those provisional ballots that I mentioned before. Sometimes voters are required to cast a ballot provisionally. It may be because they requested an absentee ballot by mail. It might be that they moved since the last time they voted and did not update their address with the Board of Elections. Those provisionals, they, there's a verification process that the bipartisan election officials go through and being able to determine which of those provisional ballots can be added to the official count. So we have um, just two counts, the count election night, the unofficial, and then somewhere between 11 and 21 days, each board will run one more count, which we call the official count that has those um, ballots added to the unofficial results. So we should know for sure by the uh, middle of December uh, what the certified final results are in all these races. Well, all boards of elections, um, that 21-day uh, date is November 29th. So all boards are required under Ohio law to certify um, on or before November 29th. Uh, what happens um, if there is a close race, and I do want to mention, even if there's not a close race, those late arriving absentee ballots and eligible provisionals are still added to the count. This is something election officials do after every election, even if everybody wins big on election night. That same process is followed. If an election is close enough under Ohio law that an automatic recount would be required, that determination is based on the official counts. Uh, a lot of times if a, a race is closed on election night, the calls we get the next morning is, when is the recount going to be? And the answer is, well, we have to conduct the official count first. Then we can declare and schedule a recount if it's required. And that margin is really small, though, isn't it? Do you have a, a the percentage of how close it has to be? Yeah, for local races, it's one half of one percent. I believe in statewide races, the margin is even even smaller. I, I don't want to give that number out. I just can't remember it off the top of my head right, right now. But it's minuscule. It's, it's small. It's a very it's small, small number. Okay. You've really given us a lot of confidence in the way you are doing things in Hamilton County, and um, I appreciate all of the work that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And for your listeners that live... Um, outside of Hamilton County, I just want to say that the other 87 boards of elections in Ohio all follow these same procedures, and you have dedicated bipartisan election officials working together to administer democracy. Thank you. Sherry Poland, the director of the Hamilton County Board of Elections. And thanks to all the election workers and the volunteers this year. Whatever you do, be sure to exercise your right to vote. If you don't know how to vote on the issues, there are voter guides available to explain them. Check out your county's Board of Elections, the League of Women Voters, and local media guides to find out more about these issues that are so important. In Ohio, the polls open Tuesday at 6.30 a.m. and close at 7.30 p.m. In Kentucky and in Indiana, they open at 6 a.m. and close at 6 p.m. Be sure to take your photo ID to vote. And let us know how voting goes in your town. Just shoot me an email. Send it to iHeartCincy with an I 
at iHeartMedia.com. Thank you for listening. Be sure to hear all of our podcasts free on the iHeartRadio app. Just search for iHeartCincy with Sandy Collins under podcasts. See you next week. iHeartCincy is a production of iHeartMedia Cincinnati. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of 55KRC, the talk station, and iHeartRadio station. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.